Hey, I'm Tim. And I'm Drew. And this is the Hearts and Hands Podcast. In Season 5, Episode 9, we talked to Karis Carmichael-Brown about her story. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Tim Babbler, joined as always by my co-host, Drew Steinenberg. And Drew, this week we got to talk to someone we were familiar with but never had the chance to interview on the podcast before, Karis Carmichael-Brown. Yeah, I honestly feel a little bad about it because she's been recommended to us probably since about the start of the podcast. But we we finally made up for it, got her on the podcast, and it was a fantastic conversation. So great that we're going to have to split it into two parts. And I still feel like we just scratched the surface. So we'll we'll have to have her on again sometime. Most definitely. We enjoyed hearing your story. I know you're going to enjoy it too. Let's get right in and hear from Karis. Today, we are excited to welcome to the podcast, Karis Carmichael-Brown. Welcome, Karis. Hello. For our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, could you briefly introduce yourself, please? Well, my as um, my name is Karis. I am originally a New Ulm native. I grew up in the shadow of the college. My dad was a professor there, and I am both a professional artist and arts administrator and a arts hustler and an arts advocate and an all things arts world person. I've got one foot in graphics. I've got one foot in painting. I am able to do planning and whatnot. And this is a thrill um, to not only be able to talk with you, but also to be a part of more people in the wells who are creative and more people who are Christian and creative, which I think is always interesting because you look at 2000 years of art history and there's a lot, there's a lot of storytelling about the good stuff. So as we were kind of preparing to have you on the podcast, I, I must admit I was just a little bit overwhelmed because you have such a broad variety of things that you do and have done in the past. Um, so I almost just didn't know where to start, right? So as you know, as the song goes, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Let's let's get a little bit of your kind of your origin story. What what were you like growing up? What things were you interested in? And then how where'd you go to school and things like that? I grew grew up in New Ulm. Um, yeah. My my dad taught physical um, physical science physics at the college. My mom was a courageous caretaker and encouraging supporter of her family. My sister had an interior design business in New Ulm. Um, she did historic renovations for houses. And she was also she also worked on the Governor John Lind House, the Wandagog House, um, the Governor's Mansion in the Twin Cities. My brother is uh, in the cities. He has a wife and three children. And my brother spent a great deal of time in the Naval Reserve. His wife is an entrepreneur. And his kids are just just starting their new lives. So that's um, that's a bit about my family in terms of like deep core origin. Um, I grew up walking uphill both ways to go to school, St. Paul's Lutheran. And we would walk. We would walk the mile-ish to school, whether it was raining or shining or snowing. 
In fact, I have many happy memories of sledding down the hill on my trumpet case <laughs> get to school, um, which my trumpet is still intact. Um, I was always been creative. Uh, that's something that my parents encouraged. They were questioners of how the world works and why does it work and what do we do in to contribute to it. My sister contributed contributed quality of life through interior design. My brother contributed meaning and purpose to making systems work better uh, in the Navy. My father dissected as much of how the thermal ther thermodynamic um, laws of the breakdown and the buildup of the world would work. He was always studying, always, always studying and always wondering how things were put together. The truck in our front door, uh, front driveway was always in a state of repair. It also worked, uh, but he was always trying to figure out how these things worked together. And my mother, she is one of the most steadfast representations of quiet creativity I think I've ever seen. She made all my dresses, uh, my Christmas dresses, my uh, Easter dresses. She made doll clothes. She made curtains. She helped repair upholstery. She cross-stitched. She, she actually cross-stitched big Bible passages for each of my 51st cousins when they got married. And she never, never really earned money from it, but she did it because her hands needed doing something and she wanted to do something that meant something to someone. Sure. So I've got an advent calendar of little ornaments that my mom cross-stitched and it's <laughs> this beautiful thing. I get to bring it out every um, advent and mark down the days with little cross-stitched scenes. That's awesome. So, I went to MBL, played a lot of sports. I was in a lot of theater, um, children's theater in the summer. I went to Bethany. After high school, I actually was an exchange student in Switzerland. And I was, I was a little bit out of the norm uh, during that time. I was a little bit older. Uh, most of the students that they would take were between 14 and 16, and I was 18. And I got to see all of the good stuff. Um, I got to go to France and Italy and the Czech Republic and England and Spain and Portugal. The amount of things that went through my eyeballs when I was that young. Gosh, gosh, I wish I had paid attention in history class. <laughs> I did learn Latin in high school because pre-college, pre there's always, uh, pre-MLC, there's always some Latin somewhere in one of our area Lutheran high schools. Yep. And so I find that having that background in a, lang a dead language allows me to see a little bit deeper. It allows me to move a little bit more nuanced into what communications mean, and then couple that with art, I'm primarily disposed to looking at what can I communicate in a visual form. Sure. So when I was at Bethany, um, I was studying, uh, I was studying studio arts and theater. So physical communication and also visual communication. 
And what I found was that I had a great foundation and there were just a few pieces that I wanted to strengthen. And so I went to the New York Academy of Art, which is a grad school in New York City that teaches traditional techniques, anatomy. I can paint in 300 AD style or 1500 AD style or impressionist or modern because they take you through the whole gamut of what traditional techniques are and the philosophies that govern traditional techniques and the way you use those types of brush marks to communicate certain ideas. So after grad school, I got stuck out here in New York. So it's been, um, so I graduated grad school in about 2008 and I've now been out here ever since. Okay. So obviously going to grad school for, for art, you know, at, at that point, Art is no longer just a hobby or just a thing you're interested in, or it's something you want to like make as a core piece of your life moving forward. What was that process like in in making art your career, not just something you do on the side or a side hustle? That's a that's a really really great question because there's that's loaded. It's a it's a loaded one. Um, it was intentionally loaded. <laughs> the I re- I remember the moment that I was. I'll I'll go back even before grad school because this is a longer this is a little bit of a longer process. The environment that I came out of my my parents they were creative um, and they encouraged me. That being said, I didn't see art in my churches. I didn't see I saw art in Catholic churches. I didn't see it in Lutheran churches, and that's the short way of saying I'm not sure where I fit in this. Mm. Um, especially since my faith is something that governs a lot of my decisions. And I was thinking like, how do I, how do I mesh those two things together? How do I mesh what I love with what I believe in? And as I'm going through Bethany, Bethany had a wonderful way of emphasizing vocation, i.e. whatever you do, you are also serving God in the calling that God has given to you. Whether you're a mother, whether you're a son, whether you are a, an administrator, whether you're a personal assistant, you don't have to be just someone in a very narrow field. You can be a person that is in a broader range of occupations in the world. And that gave me a little bit of permission to think that I could be an artist. And that's what kind of led me to double down on gaining more skill. So as I was going to grad school, then I was looking at in in the back of my head, I was thinking, I'm spending a lot of money for this. This is me giving myself permission to do this thing. That was what I said when I was 25 years old. That being said, there's a a scorpion tail to that. Because my student loan expenses were so high, I then needed to pay them back as quickly as I could, which doesn't leave, in my case, a lot of room for studio practice. So I started salaried jobs as soon as I got out of grad school. And Starting them in New York City means that you've got, you know, an hour commute on the subway. And it's not that you get into the car and you listen to your podcast. Sure, you can do that. 
but you also got to walk the three blocks um, or five blocks or 15, and then you got to hoof it up the steps and then you got to hoof it down the steps and then you got to get into the elevator that smells like urine. And then you have to, you know, push against people in the subway platform. And then you got to wait like once. Oh crap. That's too full. Uh, Oh no, that's too full. Um, Then you get onto the subway and you are literally shoulder to shoulder with everybody else. And by the time you get to work, you are taking a cup cup of coffee to relax, (laughs) not to get started. And the same thing is true of coming home again. And then if you need to go out to do networking and more activities, it's a question of how much energy do I have to spend on creativity or how much energy do I need to spend on existing? Mm-hmm. So I, New York was great. I learned a lot of lessons there. I have a lot of working theories built on my experiences but i've even heard some people say that when you're an artist in new york your job is living in new york (laughs) i've seen many people do that live in new york and it's there's always a sacrifice for what you choose um sometimes you choose a job that pays you insurance and pays you a salary and what you sacrifice is the time to do what you got your degree in Sometimes you get the job that gives you the degree that is running in your degree and you are thrilled about it, but they ask you to move to Honolulu. There's always, there's always something that you trade for what you want. Mm -hmm. And at the time, what I wanted was I wanted to have my student loans paid off as quickly as I could. And so I traded studio time for salary jobs. That being said, I am now a year away from all student loans being completed. Nice. Yeah. As far as it being a hobby, this is this is really interesting. The work that I actually do, I, I am currently in a salaried position that is not arts related. And so when I do need to do arts activities, I find that it's outside of the support system that I have through my job. People might call that a hobby. Sure. However, I call it an avocation. Hmm. I still feel called to do it. I still feel like visual communication is the primary language that I speak. It's just not the avenue that I can have that pays for health insurance. Sure. And so that's that's the bargain that I personally need to. I need to make peace with is how to find a, a living wage within the arts that also has um, support system to keep me alive. I do know that it is a privilege to be in the salaried position that I'm in because I have a flexible schedule. And so if it's raining, I can then focus on work indoors. Sometimes I can trade my days to make sure that something gets done on deadline for this or something gets done on deadline for this and then build that up in my salary job on another day. I am, I am intensely grateful that this is the position that I have now. Very cool. Yeah. I hope that that wasn't a really clear way of saying, how did I, how did I get there? I'm still not at peace with it. Because I, I want, I want to be a full-time artist. I want to be a professional artist. I don't know that I can do that until I retire. 
So you're, you're kind of conflicted, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And conflict is also something that you use in art. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you can you explain a little bit how like your conflict of I want to do this, but I also must do this mm-hmm. is applied to your art as well? Absolutely. And believe it or not, it has theological ursprung in it. It has a Paul says the good that I would do is not the good that it that or he says the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Yep. There are there, there's more, more of those passages. There are things that in the Bible, you've got one entity doing this, and it seems right and proper, and they're proud of it, and they really want to do it to please the Lord. But then God himself comes around and says, you whitewash tombs, or you breed of vipers, or this is not what I need from you. So in, in the Bible, I think early on as a kid, I must have picked up on the not inconsistency, but the the spaces where two things existed that were not agreeing, but they occupied the same space. Sure. And then when you you know reach high school and you reach college, you get a little bit more deeply into theology. And the thing that I think is so interesting and beautiful to me is that there was a God that became a man at the same time, so that I can be a sinner and a saint at the same time. There's a there's a theological word for it. And this is what I like to do in my artwork, my paintings, when I actually do the paintings that I feel are coming from the deep, the deep part of me, to create images where there are two, where there is beauty and terror, where there is inappropriate and exalted where there is potential shame and exaltation of something, where there is love and there is repulsion. These things, I believe, can coexist together. Mm-hmm. They frequently do. I'm, I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's one aspect. But I, I watch, a, watch a child grow up. Watch a person who is retired, start to, you know, approach death's door. People are not one thing. People are, the human experience is many, many things, all, all compacted and rolled together. We are, the phrase, um, we are a multitude. I am a multitude. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to bring that into the work that I do. And often, it's triggered by conflict, conflicting ideas. You've mentioned a couple times now that, you know, over the course of your education and the years, you, you've just been drawn to visual communication. You said theater and painting and how they were both visual things. So, of course, one, you're welcome for putting you on an audio podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> two, uh, what, what is it about visual communication that, what drew you to want to kind of express these conflicting ideas visually rather than, you know, writing a poem about them or something? I think visually, uh, poem, poetry is beautiful. I, poetry is intimate and it is deep within you. Um, I have a, a friend, a friend gave me after a, a trip, uh, a school trip to Italy, a friend 
gave me a book of his poetry that he had written. And it is some of the most beautiful stuff I have ever read. But poetry has a, li- a limited audience. It has, You have to be able to read. You have to be able to read in that language. You have to be able to understand the intellectual metaphor. So, so it, it has a narrower audience. Visual communication, you find it in movies. You find it in, in your landscaping. Uh, you find it in your clothing. It's everywhere. If your eyes are open, something is communicating with you. And so with artwork, I guess I wanted to have the, let me rephrase it. When we were picking, when we were picking instruments in third grade to play in band, they had all the instruments on view in the, in the gymnasium. I tried the flute. I tried the clarinet. I tried the trombone. I tried dealing with the drums, but I picked the trumpet because it was the loudest. I think art, visual art, is the loudest. That makes sense. I like that. I feel like I just outed myself there. <laughs> that wraps it up for another episode of the podcast. As always, if you have questions you want answers to, people you want to hear from, or you want to come on and talk about your exciting new project, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to me at president at heartsandhands.art. Or you can hop on our Discord. We heard from several of you at the workshop this past summer that you'd be interested in having a Discord server uh, for hearts and hands related things. So that is up and running. If you go to our website, heartsandhands.art, there's links at the bottom of every page to join the Discord. It'll just ask you to fill out a simple survey um, just so we can make sure that it doesn't get a bunch of bots and things like that. But then when you fill out that survey, I will send you a personalized link so you can join the Discord. Uh, Looking forward to seeing and interacting with many of you there. Also wanted to quickly mention on heartsandhands.art, there are dates for next summer for two songwriting weekends, a storyteller's weekend and a visual artist's weekend. Um, So be sure to check that out as well. And we appreciate all the support we've received, um, both as a podcast and the organization. If you want to support the podcast specifically, feel free to go to patreon.com slash heartsandhandspodcast. If you're looking to support the ministry and work of Hearts and Hands Go ahead and check out heartsandhands.art. And in the top right, there is a place for you to click give. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.